So as much as I wanted to uh, continue in Genesis, um, I don't think with the time left it would be good to pick up anything else. So I, wa- I was looking through some stuff of uh, Joseph, and there's just so much in there I didn't want to do it a disservice. And as I was considering and praying about what to do, I feel like the Lord reminded me uh, that he is the good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice. So today we're going to look at John 10, uh, 1 through 21, John chapter 10. 1 through 21. And the title of today's message is the words of Jesus. It says, I am the door. I am the door. As we turn there to John 10, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And maybe I've asked these before. But I want you really to consider it. To really lay it to heart. You know, a lot of times we think we have an answer uh, for ourselves or when we hear a question. But really, who do you listen to? When you consider the advice that's given and actually think about the actions that you take in life, who are you listening to? Who are you taking advice from? And what are their credentials? A lot of times we listen to advice, but we don't take it. Or we listen to advice and later on we do take it. Or We come up with our own ideas and we write them off as something else or I don't know, but who do we listen to? When when our lives really come down to making decisions, what voice are we listening to? Is it a TV star? You know, all these people in the media and entertainment seem to have an opinion about something and because they're famous, they think their opinion counts more than yours. They think that somehow because they're famous, they have some sort of credential that their opinion is somehow smarter because they pretend to play someone on TV for lots of money or they're good looking or they whatever it is that somehow they've got the corner on the market in wisdom. What about someone who's an expert in the field on anything? You know, I I love some of these political arguments and none of them are experts on anything that they want to pass a law on. And they refuse to ask the experts on the topic that they're talking about. They just like to legislate from wherever they sit. Whatever their their current idea is, they refuse to have a, a discussion about it. Perhaps the expert is not cool enough to be listened to. Perhaps his bow tie or his uh, accent give him away. A lot of times we think someone with a really deep southern accent and they speak slowly because we're from the north and everything's so fast up here. Um, that they're not as smart or intelligent. But I would have to say that a lot of these people, even farmers who aren't in the business world, some might look on as not being very smart and intelligent, but I would say they're probably smarter and more wise than some of the people on Wall Street. Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 18, these are the words of Solomon, the wisest man other than Jesus, of course, to have lived. Uh, The one who asked God for wisdom when he could have asked for anything else. That's pretty wise. He says this, he says, This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me that there was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. So imagine this. There's a city. A large army comes to take the city over. They've got their tanks and their military around it. And in that city, now there was found a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. You know, he had some wisdom in his old age and he was poor and somehow his, his wisdom got them out of the situation. And it says, yet no one remembered that poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war but one sinner destroys much good. Solomon says people won't listen to wise words if they don't come from someone who is wealthy and famous and seems to have everything together. But wise words rarely come from those who have all the world's riches. We see their lives are in shambles and the decisions they make in their families. But we look at someone who doesn't have much of the world's goods and we see a a wholesome family. We see a life well lived. We see someone who serves them, but Their wisdom is not taken to heart. On the other side, do you listen to a counselor, a psychologist or psychiatrist or a doctor 
because they have a degree, because they have it on the wall, because that is their job professionally. Many people go to them and pay a hundred something dollars an hour for this person to listen and take notes. I'm not saying you necessarily shouldn't go to a counselor or a psychologist or a doctor if you need one, but I wonder, is their advice just worldly, fleshly, and limited? Even if they are a Christian, their advice is limited. Why? Because they don't know you. They don't know you. Well, what about a friend? You know, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. You know, if you want to have friends, you kind of got to be a friend, right? If you don't have any friends, kind of start looking at yourself and go, maybe I'm not as friendly as I think I am. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, even our family at all times doesn't have the best advice for us. They may want to give us the best advice. They may think it's the best advice. But sometimes they look at us with eyes that, I don't know, are tainted somehow. But the Lord says in Jeremiah 1.5, He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you, even in your mother's belly, I knew you. I knew you before you existed. Not that you existed before time, but I knew you then. God knew you. In Psalm 139, David says, 139.13, He says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. And in your book, they, are all, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. I should count them. They would be more in number than sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. David says, all my days you know, God. Every day, from the first until the last, you've written them down. Whether they're good days, whether they're bad days, whether they're hard days or easy days, God knew them all beforehand. And God ordained them even. Because our life is not about these things like we read before uh, in Matthew, about what we're wearing or what we're drinking or what's going to happen tomorrow. Our life is greater than that. Our life is found in God alone. Because there is one who truly knows you, there is one who truly loves you, and there's one who truly calls you. A lot of times in life, people think their calling is their gift. Is the calling is their talent. That because they're good at something, this must be what their life is for. That the calling of these things in their life, the call of the wild, so to speak, is the reason for them to go and do something. And that's not always the case. And even if it is the case, make sure that it's the Lord who's calling you and not a gift is calling you. Because whoever you listen to, the Bible says, you are that person's slave and servant. Whoever you obey, they are, you are their servant. So if you begin to obey your gifts and talents, you will fall to be a slave of your gifts and talents. But do you know him? I believe you do. Do you hear him? I believe you do as well. And would you recognize his voice? I certainly hope so. This morning, Lord, we want to hear your voice in the scripture. So God, we pray that you would open it up to us. It would be the door for us to hear you this morning. Because God, you are the door. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord. And the call and the plans you have for us are much better than anything we can come up with, our friends have for us, our family thinks about us. But God, the things you have for us are so much greater, so much better, because ultimately the thing you have for us is not a thing. Uh, it's you, Jesus. It's a time with you. It's getting to know you. And all those things that happen because of that are great, but they, they can't happen without that. So God, let us, let us hear from you and draw close to you this morning. We know that as your word says, if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. So thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So John 10. And I threw away a page of notes too early there. Let's read the first six verses. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, this is Jesus speaking, he says, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes out before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. He says, most assuredly, we've probably heard this several times in Scripture when Jesus says something important. He says, most assuredly, or verily, verily, if you have the King James Version, it means amen, amen. A lot of times you say amen at the end, but this saying was also used at the beginning of a statement. Amen at the end was like, let it be so, it is finished, it, you know, this is good, it's truth. But in the beginning it was like, this is important, this is truthfully, verily, firm, sincerely. And this is a deep thing, an important truth that Jesus is conveying to the people. Uh, that there are only two ways into the sheepfold. There's only two ways into people, uh, to the church, and also into your life. Number one, over the wall. To jump over the wall. You build a wall around your home, and there's a door in it. There's two ways in. Over that wall, whether you parachute in, whether you put a rope over it, or whether you go through the door. Now, maybe you use a, a battering ram to get through the door, or a key. There's still only two ways to get in. You know, I have keys to the house. My wife has keys to our house, so we can get in, thankfully. Uh, we got locked out a couple weeks ago. Thankfully, it was just the screen door, and the garage was open, but I was able to get a screwdriver and pry out the screen door, and then I was able to get in. It's like, wow. It's, <laughs> you know, when you really think about it, the locks on the doors are really just keeping the honest people honest. You know, I got a trailer. I had to get all these locks for it. And honestly, I watched all these videos on trying to find the best trailer lock, and people broke into each one of them within minutes, unless you spend like $250 on this giant piece of metal that clamps on it. But there's always a weak point there. You know, we have these ideas of security and it's not always what we think. Uh, but from what I've heard, a lot of robberies happen because someone left a window open. They locked the doors, but they forgot that one window. Oh, no one can get in there. Well, uh, someone who's determined will squeeze through a spot that maybe you or I couldn't squeeze through. Um, so it's very important. Close your windows, lock them. <laughs> Are you worried now that you left them open? But you know who is at your door by how they come in. You know, someone buzzes at the, when you live in an apartment or a condo, you know, uh, when you live at Deer Run, press a button and then you hear, hey, come on up. And you press the button to unlock the door at the bottom. Uh, friends sometimes just come in. I think Joe just walked right in the house yesterday. But that's what friends do. I should have locked the door. Uh, <laughs> just, just kidding, I love Joe. Uh, but others sometimes show up. I was headed out the door the other day and two Jehovah's Witnesses came walking up the driveway. And I said, hi, how are you? And I said, I was going outside the door, not going to let him in. And I said, I just wasn't in the mood. Maybe if I was in a better mood that day or full of the spirit, I might have handled it differently. But uh, he said, I was like, how are, he said, how are you? I said, fine. Uh, I said, who are you? Uh, who are you with? And I go, oh, well, we want to share some warm thoughts from the Bible with you. I was like, oh. I'm like, well, do you have a Bible? And I said, well, yes. <laughs> but I said, who are you with? And they finally got around to tell me who they were with. They said, uh, bye. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. You know, because I can entertain and I could probably talk to them, but I don't know how I was in kind of a, you know, I don't know how gentle I would have been with them that day, and that probably would have been better just to say goodbye. <laughs> they said, have a nice day. I didn't say thank you because I don't want to warm and welcome, as the Bible says. I didn't want to be rude, but sincerely, they're coming with the veil of truth, but oh, warm, the Bible, good. People know the Bible. People want to hear the Bible sometimes. But they give you that, but then when they get to the heart of it, it's not the truth. It's a lie. So they try to come in through the door, but don't let them because they're not the shepherd. You know, the enemy knows scripture. Just like a smart thief knows how security systems work. Smart thief will know how to disable security. You know, you watch those heist movies, they cut the phone lines, they know what they're doing. That's the same thing with the enemy. He'll come. And he'll try and defeat your security system. He'll be, oh, we have a warm thought from the Bible for you today. He'll send two young ladies to your door that don't look very threatening and scary, but they're bringing doctrines of demons, and you don't want to listen to that. Because, you know, the shepherd comes in through the door. You know why? Because the shepherd has all rights. He has access. He has nothing to fear. He walks up to the door. He can come right in because he's the shepherd. He has nothing to fear, nothing to hide. He comes through the main gate. This is the way the shepherd comes. You know, he doesn't need to be cool and hop over the wall or sneak in the back. This is just, he's got every right to. Why would he go in any other way? You know, why would I sneak in through my bathroom window? Unless I was in trouble and trying to get back in. I couldn't fit through my bathroom window anyway. I go through the door. That's right. But people will use any means necessary to sneak into your life and to control you. Any way to get you on the hook, to be dependent on them, to take their advice and to do things 
their way. It's just a strange thing with people, whether they mean it or not. We all want to make other people listen to us. We all want them to do what we want them to do. It's some strange thing. Whether it's passive-aggressive or just aggressive-aggressive, it's, it's interesting how people operate. You know, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, we know this. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You know, it's interesting that the Bible links the gift, uh, the calling of pastor and teacher together. That when someone's teaching you, they're also pastoring you. You can't really divide the two. Someone who's going to care for your life is also teaching you things. I think that's why it's so important that the teachers we have in school really care about you. And it's so interesting. We see that when people do try and teach you something, they are trying to lead your life in one way or another. We see how school, uh, you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail, but just look at the connection between the things they teach and the way lives are led, you know, that you can't divide it. And that's why they don't like the Bible because you can't read the Bible and not have it affect your life. You can't spend time with Jesus and listen to the things of the world. You know, I googled itching ears partly to, to look up this verse, but you know what came up when I looked, looked up itching ears? It was like one of those medical diagnosis things. It was like a gross picture of an inner ear, and it says that a lot of times itching ears can be the start of a, it could be a sign of an injury, it could be a sign of a fungal or a bacterial infection. That, you know, sometimes you have that itching ear, it's not just you need to get your ears cleaned out, but if it keeps itching, You've got infection going on in there. And that's interesting that Paul says people have itching ears. And in that time when their ear is itching, they're not looking for a medicine. They just want to scratch it. I think when people have itching ears, it's a sign that there's something wrong. It's a sign that there's something sick, that they don't want to be taught the truth. They don't want to be shepherded in the truth. They want to go their own way. They itch for some new doctrine, some interesting teaching. And they will itch it and they will scratch it for hours as long as it keeps them going. You know, as long well, I'm just going to keep itching. Oh, it feels good. And then, you know, what happens? You scratch too much, you start bleeding, right? But it doesn't have to be the truth. As long as it scratches that itch, they don't care what it is. As long as it meets their perceived need. You know, there's podcasts to no end on the internet. YouTube videos, audiobooks for days. I don't know how much video is uploaded to YouTube every day, but it's I've heard the figures before, and it's astronomical. It's, you know, there's no way you could ever watch even one day's worth of video that's uploaded to YouTube. Movies go on for almost three hours now. And this is, you know, uh, this is for me as well. But Bible teaching over 45 minutes? Hold on. A message that's 20 minutes long? That's, that's as long enough as I can stand. You know, do we want the truth? I'm not trying to rationalize my own going over. Because <laughs> there's times when I listen to a message, I go, oh, that's kind of long. But sincerely, if we really cared about the truth, or are we just trying to get rid of an itching ear? You know, just trying to check off that box. So I went there, and that's enough God for today. This is another quote from A.W. Tozer. Uh, it's actually from today. It was just fitting. It says, Once in Charles Spurgeon's church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, somebody stole the clock that hung in the back of the sanctuary, you know, the one that the pastor would see or the worship leader would see. They thoughtfully put a note where the clock had been which read, since the pastor is more interested in eternity than time, he will not miss this clock. And A.W. Tozer says, forgive me as I put all my focus on God. A lot of times there is pressure up here to get through the message. A lot of times that's good pressure. There might be another service coming in. You guys have somewhere to go. I can talk too much. That's definitely true. But on the other side, it's also, I know these people aren't going to put up with more than 40, 45 minutes of teaching and they're going to want to head out the door, and they're not going to come back, and there's all sorts of pressure for that when you have a larger church. But should there be? No. It's like we, don't, we just have to squirm and sit in our seats because it doesn't interest us enough. And Man, why not? But he says here, Jesus says, to him the doorkeeper opens, to the shepherd the doorkeeper opens, that there's this guy here that guards the door of the sheep, and I believe that this is truly a pastor's job in a way. I'm not saying that this is totally speaking of it, but I think in a way this can look at a pastor's job because a pastor's job is not to be Jesus for the sheep. A pastor's job is to make sure that Jesus gets in and has full access to the sheep and that the sheep have full access to Jesus. Whether that's through teaching, whether that's through counseling, whether that's through helping them move or whatever. That's his job. 
And I think a lot of times, pastors try and be the door itself. Pastors try and say, you have to go through me to get to Jesus. And that's not the case. If that's someone, the attitude of your pastor, run. Because he's getting in the way of Jesus. Maybe he means well, but man, he should always be leading you to the Father, leading you to Jesus. No, my advice, this is my advice to you. What is the Lord telling you? This is my advice to you. Listen to what God is showing you in your devotion. This is my advice to you. Maybe I will give you specific scriptures. But at the end of the day, the pastor's job is to make sure Jesus has full access to you. A lot of times we complain because we don't have full access to pastors. Oh, he wasn't there. Well, why are you looking to him to meet all your needs? He can't. He physically can't. There's only one who can. Now he should try. But sincerely, at the end of the day, it's Jesus who says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. You know, but why does Jesus even have to knock? He should have full access. Well, God is a gentleman. God is not going to force himself on the world. He's not going to force himself on you. But we also are the doorkeepers of our hearts. You know, through our mind, through our conscience that we need to first hear him knocking. Jesus is knocking on everyone's heart, I guarantee it. But people don't even hear it. Why? Because their conscience is seared. Because they've been listening to someone else. And if you're listening to someone else, and that person doesn't be quiet and let you hear the knock of Jesus in your life, they're rushing you, buy now, buy now, i got someone else coming to look at this car later, you better put a down payment now. Say, okay. Well, if they buy it, well, I go home and pray about it. Well, then I guess this car wasn't for me. I mean, I know that's kind of a silly example, but sincerely, be wise and listen. You know, it says that uh, even a fool, when he keeps his mouth shut, is thought of as wise. Uh, You know, you're in a discussion with a lot of people, and there's one person just sitting there. They might have no clue what's going on, but because they keep their mouth shut, I guarantee you begin to think, they know something I don't know, (laughs) even if they don't. I always thought of uh, Pastor Vin that way. Whenever we were around having discussions about things back in the day, he would just sit there. And he might not have known what was going on, but I always go, man, Vinny's wise. And he is. He holds his tongue. But Jesus says, here he says, the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You know, shepherds at times, back in the day, from what I understand, they would get together and they would put all their sheep in one pen. You know, it's cheaper and easier, obviously. You know, they can sleep when one guy watches um, uh, for safety, for protection, etc., from robbers. Uh, but the sheep would know their master's voice. The shepherd would come in the morning and call the sheep, Hey, my sheep, I don't know what they say. And his sheep would know that that was their shepherd and begin to come out. Um, you know, if you walk into a pack of kids and I say, Come on, kids, my kids would come and listen to me. Hopefully, right? <laughs> but just like a dog, you know, they know their master's voice. You know, your dog knows your voice when you come home. They don't bark at you unless your dog just likes to bark but also a parent on the other side knows the cry of their children you know if you're in church and you hear some kid acting up you sit there and listen for a minute try and decipher and go no that ain't my kid (laughs) or you go oh no (laughs) that's my kid i know the shepherd knows the cry of his sheep as well he knows their voice and psalm 18 6 says in my distress i called upon the lord and cried out to my god he heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. You know that God hears your cry? You may not think it, you may not feel it, but you know he hears your cry? comes up to heaven, he hears it. Especially if you're saved, he can't ignore it. He won't ignore it. You know, sometimes as parents, we're tired and we wish we could ignore it. That's our kid, and we love them. And even if we're tired and upset and they've been crying all day and it's frustrating, we'll still get up. Maybe we don't say it in the nicest way. What's wrong? But we still care. Psalm one, and he's better than that. Psalm one sixteen one through two says, "I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplications, because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon Him as long as I live." David says, "I love the Lord. Why? Not because I'm cool and I know the right thing to love, but because God loves me." That's what, Jesus, that's what it says in the scripture, that we loved him because he first loved us. And David says, I'm going to call on him every day I live because he's the one who hears my cry. I know I can go to him with everything. We need to go with him with everything. Just like a sheep would go to its shepherd. A sheep's not going to get its needs met by another sheep, but a shepherd can pick it up 
and care for it. It says also that the shepherd goes before them. And I think we all too often think, maybe it's just me, but I don't think so, that when God calls us or we say that, oh, God is leading me to do something, that we have to be the one to forge ahead and do it. It's not so. He's leading us. And a leader leads from in front. The best generals rode out to war in front of their soldiers. The best generals, from what I understand, are the ones who have actually fought in battle, not the ones who just come off the school or West Point. But he always leads us from ahead and he always guards us from behind. When God calls you out, he's saying, come with me, come with me. Not go over there for me and go, you know, get me a bag of chips. It's, I'm out here. Come with me. And you know what? The sheep follow him. The sheep who know their shepherd, who have been cared for him, know how much he loves them and leads them and guides them and protects them. They immediately get up and follow him. Oh, a new day. Let's go out and eat. They're sheep. They go. But are you following him? Has he led you out of anything? And I don't mean that means you have to move anywhere. But has he taken you out of anything? Because I wonder if we haven't been led out of anything, haven't been taken through anything by the shepherd, or followed him, even if no one else has, no matter the time or circumstance, are we really following him? Is he really our shepherd, or are we sheep in name only? Are we just hanging out in the sheep pen? Because disciples, followers, and Christians are all labels. But they're labels derived from lifestyles that were lived. A disciple is the Latin word discipuli, which is student. My Latin teacher in high school, all four years of Latin too, or whatever. <laughs> discipuli means student. She said, salve discipuli. We say salve te, magistra. Because it means a student. Do you learn from Jesus? Does he teach you things? Or do you just know about him? And that's a good thing to be a student. But a, a follower is one who actually follows. A lot of people nowadays want to be called followers of Jesus. And that's the trendy term. But are they going anywhere with him? Are they actually listening to the one they claim to follow? Does their life look like it? Is there a holiness in their life that would be there of someone who truly follows the Holy One? You know what Christian means? It was a derogatory term. It meant little Messiah because Christ is Messiah. Oh, you little Messiahs. Would anyone say that about any of us? Do we walk around like the Messiah? I mean, maybe you try and walk on water. I don't know. And Maybe you think you're holier than thou. I don't know, but have you ever prayed to heal someone? Have you ever prayed for someone? Have you ever shared the gospel with someone out in the middle of wherever? That's what the Messiah would do. He's hanging out. He's tired. He's thirsty. You know, I was getting gas a couple weeks ago. Some guy comes up to me and starts trying to get me to take a flyer for something. And we have a conversation. I share the Lord with him. He didn't accept the Lord there. Didn't have to. It's not my job to make him accept, but it's an opportunity to share, right? And I'm not saying I do it all the time. I didn't take that opportunity with the Jehovah's Witnesses. But sincerely, my life should be more and more like that if I'm a little Messiah. But could any of our lives be described by these things? And I wonder, do we just read the Bible and go to church? Which are good things. You know, you want to be with the other sheep. You want to read the Bible. You want to learn. But man, we don't want to be learning to no end. We don't want to just sit under Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. Good thing. Glad. Don't stop. But that's not the end of it. That's the beginning. That's the halftime. That's the pregame hoorah. What goes on the rest of the day, the rest of your life? These, uh, Jesus says that these sheep, they'll by no means follow a stranger. That if a stranger comes and says, come here, sheepies, that they run away. You know, I train my kids, you know, hopefully that if some strange person comes up and says, come with me, run away. You don't need to listen to them. They are not your mommy and daddy. Come and get mommy and daddy. But man, some kids don't, and what happens? They get taken. But what do you do when you hear a stranger teaching? I'm pretty strange, and you hear me teaching, but when you hear someone you don't know, even you do know, some guest teacher, some new person on the radio, or heaven forbid, on TV, 
do you just take it as gospel truth or do you consider it? When the Holy Spirit is uncomfortable within you, do you listen? When you begin to be uncomfortable or feel like you're not being fed, well, a shepherd is always going to feed the sheep, right? So if you're not being fed, I wonder, maybe they're not, maybe they're not a bad shepherd, but maybe they're just not the one that God has for you to be your shepherd. Because if you're not being fed in church, well, why are you there? Someone who's leading the body, they need to be leading the body. And where everyone, every leader is leading someone somewhere, and where are they leading you to? Do you just suck it down and keep on going? Do you ignore it and say, oh no, there can't be anything wrong with this person. Oh, there's nothing wrong here. Everything seems fine. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's God telling you something is wrong. You know, uh, when things are wrong, you might not always see it. God might just be showing you that something is wrong. A lot of times, you know, you get in a relationship or in a business deal or you're just around somewhere and you just go, I can't put my finger on it, but I know something's off. And when God begins to show you that something's off, you need to listen and not eat. It's food poisoning. so fun. And spiritual food poisoning is way worse. But do you just take everything everyone who claims to be a Christian says as the truth? Or when they begin to, to say things that don't line up with your true shepherd, do you flee from them? Because, like we said, if they're not opening to the door to Jesus in your lives, they didn't come in through the door. They came in the only other way, over the wall. So listen to the Holy Spirit's discernment. Listen to him. You know, and Jesus says here that they did not understand this illustration. And I have to wonder, if we don't understand the thing as Jesus is speaking to us, are we goats or are we sheep? Or are we just, you know, little and young yet and haven't really been listening? But let's go on. Uh, verse 7 says, uh, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He's getting uh, specific here. He's clearing it up for them. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And we'll stop there. You know, uh, I've heard, I remember Pastor Chuck Smith saying that, you know, about teaching parables and, uh, you know, he probably won't have been teaching for 10 years before you get into the parables. And I can't claim to know everything that Jesus says here or be an expert on it. But as we go through what Jesus says, I want to look at a couple of things here. Again, he says, most assuredly, truthfully, firmly, man to man, again, again, he says, listen to this. This is the truth. And he, what does he do? He begins to introduce himself. They didn't get the broader picture. He says, okay, let's get to, let's get to uh, the meat of the matter. Like Guillermo said last night, let's land the plane here. Jesus says, let's land the plane and let's talk about what's most important. He says, I'm the door. I'm the shepherd. You know, a police officer doesn't need to show you his badge. He just has the authority. And sometimes if you question authority, you ask for their badge, right? Um, but that's Jesus here. He's not coming up and saying, I am the son of God. You should listen to me. He begins to tell them a story about God and let them try and figure it out for themselves. When they don't understand them, he's like, all right, guys, please hear me. I'm the son of God. Please don't miss me. And you know what? Jesus tried to get them to see him, but they didn't. And so he made it clear to them. And false teachers will make you want to see them. It's all about them. And I'm not saying everyone who names the ministry after themselves uh, is wrong. You know, like, uh, you know, Billy Graham Evangelical Association. Well, I don't think Billy Graham uh, Evangelical Association, I don't think he was naming it after himself to bring attention to himself. I think he realized that people know who I am and I'm going to use that to bring the gospel. Uh, but I think sometimes other people name the ministries after themselves to name a ministry after themselves. And I think it's pretty obvious when those are the cases. It's like, did you really have to call it your name? Out of all the things you could have called it. Because false teachers, again, will make you want to see them because it's all about them. But true teachers will try to get you to see Jesus for yourself. A true teacher is not going to want you to focus on them and on their stories and on their life. They might use examples and illustrations, but the point at the end of the day here is not that you know what I know about the Bible or think that I'm something special. 
that's not the case, but that Jesus is something special, is the only one special, because Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. That the door itself is Jesus. And so if someone is not coming through Jesus, well, they're not of him. If they're not going through the door, they're a thief and a robber. And we can only enter in salvation through him. You know, the broken body, the blood, it was the veil torn uh, into God's presence. Uh, You know, Psalm 23, we know that. You can read it later if you want. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, In fact, I'm just going to read it. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's knowing who your shepherd is. Knowing that no matter what you go through, your shepherd is going to care for you. Because in verse 10, thieves have one mission, Jesus says, to steal kill and destroy. We know that's what all the enemy wants to do in your life, to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can't get you by flat out stealing, killing, and destroying, he's got to trick you there first. You know, I've heard it said that thieves who come in the day come for your stuff because you're probably not home. But thieves who come in the night come for you because you are home. But you know, there's home invasions now, but they come for both. They come to mess up your stuff and take your stuff and also hurt you. You need to be careful because these are dark days. The darkest days. And they're getting darker. And if someone comes now and deceives you, it's the thief. And they're coming for you. They're not coming for your stuff. The enemy doesn't care about your life. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. In fact, he'll make you rich if it keeps you from heaven. But these days are so dark that there are many deceivers out there. And Jesus said those would be the signs of his coming that there are many antichrists have come. But a true shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We think of David, the lion, and the bear, and later Goliath. And Jesus as well. He laid down his life for a sheep. But how do we know if this person is from God or not? Well, one big way to know is if they lay down their life for you. You know, one way I knew early on uh, about Ashley was I remember she asked me how I was doing once. And I don't know how much it meant to her. And people asked it all the time, how you doing? But when she asked it, somehow, just deep down, I knew that she meant it. And for some reason, I just knew I could tell her how I was really doing. Not that I hid things from people, but, you know, when you're at church and you're in ministry, you're there to serve other people, and you're not going to, oh, you know, cry on someone's shoulder. But, you know, I knew that she really cared, and that was one way I knew that. And that's marriage, too. You lay down your life for the other person to become one life. But they serve you. They love you. You know, they might not be your best friend. You might not be your best friend with all the deacons or the elders or the pastors. Uh, they might not be around you all the time, but when they are and when they can, and even when they can't, maybe they'll text you and find out how you're doing or ask how you're doing or pray for you. But you just know that they love you. You know, they're not running away. They're not making an excuse not to hang out. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You know, that that is the greatest love. That's how we know. You know, there's a, this mentality that being a pastor is a job. And sometimes it is. You know, sometimes you get paid and you're on staff. And, and I'm not talking about that being wrong. But it's not a job. It's not a, uh, just a calling or a gift. But it's lived through the life that Jesus gives. Like with anything, whether it's a children's minister, or whether it's a secretary at the church, or whatever it is, it's not just a job. You know, obviously I don't do this to make money. We don't pass the plate. I don't make any money off of this. Thankfully it's free, uh, which is a blessing. Um, I don't necessarily expect to retire. You know, if God does, we were talking about this yesterday, if God does something one day and I'm part of a church, and that'd be fantastic. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. But I know I can't do anything else. And sometimes I want to do something else. There's times when I just go, God, can I just do something else? Like, and I realize, no, I can't do anything else. In the light of the cross, this is all I can do. If no one listens, fantastic. If I do a bad job, all right, that's on me. But when I look at my shepherd, and when I hear his voice, this is all I hear him leading me to do. It's all I can do in response to the cross is to try and get the Bible known 
to try and teach the Bible, to try and lead other people to Jesus. And I'm not saying I've done a very good job. But at the end of the day, all I want for you is to hear his voice and follow him. Yeah, you know, sometimes if I give advice, I want you to take it. But at the end of the day, if you don't take it, all I want to know is that you're listening to Jesus. That when you come and you make a decision to go anywhere or do anything, that it's Jesus the one, is the one you're following. That if you decide to move, you decide to stay, you decide to take a job or not take a job or do whatever it is you do on a Saturday morning, that it's because you're following Jesus. I don't want any, to find out anything else. If we move in two weeks, if I go to Montana and find out that no, we're supposed to stay, I will stay. We've been praying about staying, but we keep sensing that God is calling us to go because there's a good thing to do, there's a helpful thing, but then there is a better thing. But at the end of the day, I pray and I hope that our time here together was for you to follow Jesus more. Not to come see me and hear me. I'm glad that you did and you have and I'm glad that we had the time together. But at the end of the day, when eternity comes, I want to know that your motive for doing anything was for following Jesus and that you wanted to follow him. You know, that's all. I, I hope that's my true motive, but I, I, I want that to be my true motive is that you follow Jesus. You know, I would be nothing happier for me to find out that you never moved to Montana with us because you were following Jesus. Or you did move to Montana with us because you were following Jesus. Or you went to Guam or Puerto Rico or China. Or you just stayed here and worked at the Galleria Mall until no one ever goes to the mall again. I don't know. But if you did it because you said, my shepherd Jesus is leading me to do this and I can't do anything else but follow him. I would, that's all I want. But man, I would be so brokenhearted to hear that you came to Montana with us just because you felt like it or you wanted to run away. But I'd also be so brokenhearted to hear that you didn't do something because you didn't listen to Jesus or you were afraid to or someone else convinced you otherwise. And I know that's the Lord's heart for you. He's never mad, so to speak, at you. He just wants you to follow. Let's go on. I know we're getting close, but let's go on. 12 through 21 says, Jesus says, But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, uh, which are not of this fold, which them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You know, Jesus says that there are not just shepherds out there, that there are also guys who are hirelings. That's simply one who is hired. And I think in life we're all hirelings to one degree or another, to one point or another. You know, there comes a point at work when you say, all right, that's enough. Maybe it's five o'clock on the dot. You say, <laughs> you know, you're a clock watcher. I don't know. Maybe it's after working a little bit late. You go, all right, half an hour is enough today. I'll go home. Maybe it's after 10 years of the garbage you put up with every day and day out. You call it quits. That's enough. I'm out of here. You guys can handle this on your own. I don't know. But at the end of the day, it's because you were hired. It wasn't your business. Someone else started the business. And I think sometimes even people who start a business go, that's enough, I'm selling it. But sincerely, you know, a boss at the end of the day, he can't go home because this is his, his livelihood. But a hireling, well, they can. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with putting in your time and being done. There's nothing wrong with, you know, working a little bit late sometimes. You know, there's obviously needs to be a balance there because it's not your life. But as believers, we don't want to just be hirelings. We want to do a good job. But the true shepherd, he never calls it quits, even if it means he's going to die. If a true shepherd is with his sheep, he loves his sheep, he cares for his sheep, a wolf comes running down the street, the true shepherd gets in the way of the wolf. Like David gets out and gets his sling going and fights him, grabs a lion by the beard. I'm not grabbing a lion by a beard. I saw a lion grab some zookeeper recently and like dragged him off. No, there's a, they're wild animals. That you, <laughs> leave them in Africa. I don't care. I don't need to see them. Ooh, M&Ms. But a hireling goes, is that a wolf? I'm out of here. Drops his staff and runs. 
because his life is more important than the sheep's life. You know, Paul always wanted to reach the Jews. He was stoned trying to preach the gospel in prison because he was anything for his true shepherd to reach the sheep. But these false shepherds, these hirelings, they flee. I think we see that in a culture where uh, uh, pastors, after two years, move on somewhere else because it's just a job. You know, they they ran out of messages and they can go use their messages over again. Um, You know, I like to think, I like to believe, I I struggle with it, but when we went to Maryland, uh, we left because we felt like the shepherd was calling us back for the sheep up here. And I feel like we're leaving again because the shepherd is calling us to leave. You know, like... I want to, I think one of the things God has been speaking to us, especially through my wife, is that as we go, we're going to go and we're going to stay there. And that hopefully there will be fruit that remains because we don't want to just be a year here, a year there. It's, it's, you're not going to see much fruit in those times. It's not going to be this long lasting like reward in it. And I don't want to be a guy who splits. But if God's calling us to go, I can't, I can't stay. It's not going to be, it's not going to be satisfying in him. You know, I, uh, Part of, you know, I hope that we came back because we came back because we love you guys, because we wanted to come back right away. We had already started moving down there and the wheels were in motion. You know, it's like we didn't come back because it was hard down there. It was hard down there. Don't get me wrong. But when we prayed about what to do when it was hard, we felt like it was time to come back. I I, I can't explain it. I, I can't rationalize it, but that's what I believe my shepherd was showing me. But Jesus says he's the good shepherd. You know, and it says here that these, when the wolves come, the sheep are scattered because they don't have a shepherd to protect them. One gets caught, what are the other sheep going to do? They're going to run. You know, if that's the case, you know, I think that's, that's the problem is that we all run. You know, we don't stand up and fight for each other and care for each other. You know, we need to. And that's how you know a leader in the church is that, you know, there's this term in the world about a sheepdog that you have uh, law enforcement, you have military, then there's sheepdogs. And sheepdogs are those civilians who would step up and fight for other civilians. Or they don't have the authority of the law or the military, but if someone bad comes in, they're carrying a weapon. And they're not doing it because they've got a pension for violence, but because they know I need to step up and do what's right and protect others. And I hope that we'd all be that way with our families that Man, when that thief does come in at night and he's not coming for our stuff and he's coming for our family, hopefully that'll never happen. But I hope that as a dad, I'm not like, see you later, Ash. <laughs> Out the door. Let me know how it goes. You know, I'll go get the car started. <laughs> you know, uh, no. You would, you would all laugh because you know it's silly. Because if I love her, like I say I do, then my life is going to be laid down for her. But he's the good shepherd, excellent, eminent, genuine, approved, morally good, noble, honorable, uh, well-adapted. And that's Jesus. He's the perfect shepherd. You know, other sheep, he says, he's going to get the Gentiles. There's going to be one flock. The Jews and the Gentiles, one flock, one voice, and one shepherd. If you read Romans 11 about being grafted in. But Jesus ultimately lays down his life. And he says that he takes it back up again. That as the good shepherd, he had a choice. He, went, he didn't lay down because the wolf caught him off guard. He laid it down because he knew that this is what had to happen to protect the sheep. And he loved them. You know? And I think that that's the ultimate proof of his being the good shepherd, the one being sent. The God himself is that he did die for the sheep. And he didn't just die for the sheep, but that he rose again uh, to new life, to bring life to all sheep. Well, he says that no one takes it from me, that he wasn't forced, he wasn't taken prisoner. You know, even though he was arrested, he let them arrest him. He said, I am. They all fell over. They get back up. He says, okay, you can arrest me now. Just wanted to show you that you're not doing it by force, even though you think you are. He willed it, and it was his father's desire. You know, as we close, it says here at the very end, there's two ways that people hear what Jesus is saying. And I believe when the world hears the voice of the Lord, there's really two reactions. One, He's a demon. He's crazy. Why do you listen to him? And maybe you've heard that before. Why do you listen to the Bible? Why do you do what you do? Why are you doing that? You know, uh, I've heard it, heard it said that, you know, uh, I won't say it, but there's just been things that have been said that you go, man, really? Is that what people think? Is that what people think? But number two, can something, do e- can something evil do and say something so amazing like, mm-hmm. Could he really be bad if he's able to heal the blind? You know, Jesus said all these things. A lot of times he said, he said to the man, um, 
your sins are forgiven. But to prove to you that I have the power to forgive sins, get up and walk. You know, anyone can say, you know, Bob, I forgive your sins, but what guarantee do you have of that other than Jesus said, get up and walk? Uh, you know, he opens the eyes of the blind. I think it's interesting that in the chapter before, Jesus opened the eyes of a blind man. And this is the one that the Pharisees called before him in the, in the temple, and they were like, you were born in sin, and you teach us about the law. And he says to them in John 9, 24 and 25, it says, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man, being Jesus, is a sinner. And this man who didn't really know who Jesus was yet, he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, though I was blind, I now see. It's like, you guys claim to have the corner on this God thing, but this guy over here opened my eyes. So if you don't, you don't think, you're, you think you're not sinners, but this guy, he healed me. You do nothing for me. And that's a true shepherd. A true shepherd does something for you. And more than being physically able to see, the good shepherd wants you to spiritually see. We don't see our shepherd here physically, but I hope we see him and hear him spiritually. He wants us to see danger. That's why he says, watch out for false shepherds, watch out for thieves, watch out for the wolf. But more importantly, look for him and watch for him. That's what our goal here in believers in the end days. It's not to look for the coming of the Antichrist. It's not to look for the signs and wonders, but when we do see them, begin to look up because Jesus says the day of your redemption draws near. And do you see him this morning? Do you hear him at the gate? At the door? Calling? Leading you out? Leading you through? Taking you out and taking you back into good pasture where you can find rest? If you are, good. If you're not, know that he is. And he is calling you and knocking. But listen for him today. And if this is the last time we speak and meet, the last word I want you to hear is to listen for him always. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that you are the good shepherd. That God, you truly laid down your life for us. And God, how can we do anything less but lay our lives down for you and for the uh, other believers to show them and to show you how much you're worth And not that it gains us any recognition or reward. It gains us a name on a building or any notoriety. But that, God, that uh, we would just live from the salvation and the love you gave us. That God, like David said, you love me and heard my cry. And therefore, I will love you all of my days, God. May that be us, that we love you all of our days. Whether it's the rest of today and we die. Whether it's tomorrow. We don't need to worry about it, but that we would love you the rest of our days because you will never leave us or forsake us. And you're a good shepherd, God. Lead us and guide us, we pray, by your spirit and in your word. In Jesus' name, let us hear your voice. Amen. God bless you guys and have a happy Mother's Day.